Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. As you know, we got our start with uh, Global Awakening probably 19 years ago now. I think we started going to the nations. And um, so our heart that burns for missions comes out of uh, Randy Clark and his heart for, for the global. So, William, welcome. Thank you, Pastor. How many of us love our pastor here? He's great. Let's give him a hand. Come on. Once again, thank you so much for both of you inviting us to come and share. It's been such an honor to be here. Thank you so much for that. How many of you were here yesterday? Okay, quite a few few of you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. We had such a wonderful time yesterday in the presence of the Lord, the teaching of the Word, and you know, for, for the rest of you that were not here, we'll have a time of repentance for you at the end of the service. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. How many of us were excited to be in the house of the Lord? Come on. This is Jesus we're talking about. Come on, let's lift up our voices to Jesus. Come on. Lord, we love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Come on, this is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the Redeemer. This is the Healer. This is the Savior. Jesus. Oh, we're here for you, God. I didn't realize you guys have a power-packed service, my friend. I love this church. I love it when I come into an environment where people love to pray, people love to worship, and, and people love to just get involved. I love that because where, where people take responsibility, you'll see life, and you'll see the purposes of God revealed and demonstrated through the people. And I love that I'm part of a church here that, 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 is, that takes responsibility for the things that the Lord is, is, has commissioned us to do. And I just love coming and encouraging and challenging and, and hope, hope that I can bring something to strengthen you as well. Um, I will have a short message today because I do want to do a little bit of ministry time. My beautiful wife is with me, and she is very, very prophetic. And she has already let me know this morning that she has several prophetic words that she would like to release um, over some of you. And so I want to make sure I give her plenty of time to do that. For all of you that were here yesterday, you know that I love the Word of God, and you know that I'm going to do a Bible study this morning because I love to teach from the Word. Amen. Before we get into the Word of God this morning, I would like for you to join me with some declarations that I, I normally make over my life every day before I go to read the Word. And this is a declaration that I, I dec- decree over myself before I approach the Bible. Now, I would like for you to join with me in this declaration. Let's say this together as a family. The Bible, the Bible. is God, God. Speaking, speaking to me. Now, the reason that I make this declaration is because I don't want to disassociate myself from what the Word decrees. And so many times when we approach Scripture, we look at it as a word for them, but not a word for me. And we disassociate ourselves from what God is revealing in His Word. Do you realize when you disassociate yourself from the Word, it becomes a history book instead of a book of Revelation? Okay. 
The reason I make this declaration is because when I associate myself with this word and I know, realize it's not just a word for those people, but it's also a word for me, what happens is now I come into a partnership with the reality that that word decrees and I'm able to enter into a commission, enter into an encounter, enter into an experience with the word himself because I must know Jesus is the word. And if Jesus is the word, that means every passage of scripture is Jesus in print. And we get to encounter him in his word. Amen. With that being said, there's another declaration I want you to join with me as a family. And let's say this together. I am who the Bible says I am. And I have what the Bible says I have. Oh. That just makes my heart leap with joy. That means my unanswered prayer doesn't have the authority to redefine the Word of God. That means now that I need to seek out and pursue what His Word decrees about my life and align my belief system to what He said and not my experience. You see, any experience that undermines the Word of God is a lie seeking the authority of truth in your life. You guys going to make me work this hard all morning? <laughs> Let's turn to Luke chapter 15. The Lord has been ministering to me personally for the past six months out of this parable that all of us in this room will probably recognize this parable as the parable of the prodigal son. Now, before you check out and say, well, I've heard this parable taught many times. I've already saved. I don't really need to hear this parable. I'm going to ask you to do a favor with me, and I'm going to ask you to approach this parable as if you've never heard it before. I'm going to ask you to look at this parable, to look at these truths as if you've never heard it before. And a matter of fact, I don't even want to call it the parable of the prodigal son. I want to, I want to retitle it. Now, I'm not changing scripture. I'm just giving a different title that I feel was proper for this parable. And I want to title this the parable of the loving father. Because how many of us know it's not really just about this one prodigal son. It's about a loving father that redeems this one son. But how many of us know it's not just about this one son that was lost. It was also about another son that lived in the house, in the house of the father as an orphan. And so the, the reality is this parable is really three merging characters that are coming together, revealing a mystery and, and, and unveiling an understanding of the Father's heart, an understanding of the kingdom that I think is pertinent for this day and time. Amen? Are you there? Let's look in verses 1 and 2. The reason that I want to look at verses 1 and 2 is because it creates the context for the rest of the parables that Jesus gives in this chapter. And it really reveals the two mindsets that Jesus begins to address when we get to the parable of the loving father. Now, I'm going to read this. Verse 1 it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners, everyone say sinner, often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain. Now say Pharisee. Pharisee. Complain that, the, that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How dare Jesus hang out with someone that needs help, right? 
How dare Jesus hang out with someone that is lost? Now, why am I reading these two verses? It's because these two verses do a couple of different things. Number one, it reveals a value system of Jesus. And the value system of Jesus is what? He came for the lost. He came to, to redeem those that were lost. But the second thing that I think we overlook sometimes is the response of the religious people of the day to Jesus going after the lost. They were offended that Jesus loved sinners. You get what I'm saying? The religious people were offended that Jesus wanted to hang out with the adulterers, with the, with the drunks and the prostitutes and the people that actually needed a Savior, right? And this right here really creates this context. It creates two different mindsets that Jesus begins to address in the, in the proceeding parables that he gives. The first thing that he begins to real, reveal is his value system, the lost. And so what I want you to look at when we get to the parable of the loving father, I want you to look at that first son as representative of a lost mentality. Now, before we even look at it, you may be saying, well, that's just talking to somebody that hasn't received Jesus as Savior. Well, I preach and minister all over the world, and I'm in many different churches, and I'm here to tell you, family, there are a lot of Christians that think like a lost son. There are a lot of sons that are in the same category as this one prodigal son, this one son that is lost. I see it all over the world. But the other son in the parable, we're not going to get to him. This is a four-hour teaching. I'm going to do it in 37 minutes now. So bear with me. But the other son is representative of a religious mindset. And I want you to notice in the parable of the loving father how the other son responded to the redemption of his brother. Now, let's look at, look at Luke chapter 15, verse 11. I'm going to read this all the way through verse 32. I am reading from the NLT version because I like the way it kind of describes this parable. It says, to illustrate this point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, how many of you that's a good moment right there to finally come to your senses, right? He said to... He, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So, his, so he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with judgment and condemnation. Is that what it says? 
it says, filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son. He embraced him and he kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Do you see the first mindset? That of a lost mentality? Now, I want you to pay attention to this older brother and his response to his brother's redemption. This reveals a religious mindset. And Jesus is addressing and, and, and confronting this, the religious mindset of the day of their response to him going to hang out with sinners. It says, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I, oh boy, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused, refused to do a single thing you told me. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, see he's disassociating himself, you know. When this son of yours comes back up to squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always been by me. Everything I have is yours. What's your problem, dude? We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. I don't know about you, but this is a very profound parable. I mean, it really reveals the two mindsets that I even feel like is rampant in the church today. It's rampant in the earth today. It's rampant in the gospel presentation today. Now, let's look at verse 11 once again, and then I'll start creating some more context for where I'm going. To illustrate this point, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Now, you realize right here, he didn't say a man had two sinners. This parable begins to paint this picture of what? A father to sons. A father to children. So what is, God's, what is Jesus trying to reveal in this parable? He's trying to shift the mindset of the people to no longer look at people as sinners but lost children. Okay, let me try this side. What is Jesus, what Jesus came to do was to reveal that he did not come to, simp to simply save sinners. He came to redeem lost children. So he's creating this context that now my worldview needs to shift and change that when I look at the world, I don't just look at them as dirty, rotten sinners. I actually look at them as lost children that need redemption. Are you guys okay? Were you a sinner? Yes. Did you need a Savior? Yes. But guess what? You're a son. And now because you're a son, you need to view the world as lost brothers and sisters. 
Because what Jesus begins to address by saying a man had two sons is he's trying to connect the religious person to the reality that they are called to live in relationship with the one they're separating themselves from. And, and he begins to expose this right here, that the religious people of the day were disassociating themselves from the people they were called to redeem. Because a religious person says this right here, my holiness is found in my separation of sinners instead of my union with Christ. You see, uh, you see, a religious person looks at darkness and curses it instead of shining their light into the darkness so that the people bound can see a pathway out. And Jesus, he confronts this mindset. He confronts this religious mindset, and he connects this other dynamic. Not only was a father coming for children, but he was coming for a family. You see, one of the issues that I see in the Western culture right now is our emphasis on identity is focused on the individual instead of the people of God. The Bible not only focuses on your identity as an individual, it focuses on your identity in the context of family because the Bible wants us to understand and know that our significance will never be defined outside of the context of brotherhood. Oh, man. Are you guys okay? I know I'm talking really, really fast, but it's just the way I'm wired. You didn't know a southern boy can talk this fast, did you? You see, this is what I want to begin to address just for a few moments is this context of family that God wants to institute on the earth today, and he wants to do it through the church, and he wants to do it through the people of God. Why do you think there's been such an attack against family, such a division against family? Because the, the, the purest expression of the kingdom is in the context of family, covenant, people, living life together. Listen, you are so significant to me that my significance is divinely connected to your purpose in my life. Are you guys okay? That's how important you really are. And so this creates this dynamic that I don't need to look at you like a sinner. I need to look at you as a brother and a sister. And that means when I see you hurting and I see you bound and I see you broke and I see, I see you're in bondage, instead of me judging and condemning you, I need to look at my brother and sister and have compassion and say, you know what? I'm here to help that person and bring them into light. You see, you're doing more damage when you talk about your brothers and sisters and you complain about them. Do you realize you're coming into a partnership with a demon spirit and you're operating in Christian witchcraft? God has called you to bless and not curse. God has called you to redeem and not put bondage on people. God has called you as a redeemer because he has redeemed you, and he's redeemed you into the place of a son and as a daughter so that now you can shine the glorious of your light into the darkness so that people can see a way out. Do you realize that when you hide your light, you destroy the world's hope? Whew. I need you, family. I need every single person in this room. 
need you to be you so that I can be me. Let's look in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to continue on the, along this way of teaching, this context of family. And I may not even get past this one verse in the parable, but that's okay. You just going to have to bring me back. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's kind of self-serving there. Romans chapter 12 verse 4 says this. For just as we are many members in one body. How many, how many body? Uh, it's one, right? But there's many members. Who is that speaking to? You and I, right? It says, for just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we, who are many, are one. Come on now. Are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. That means every single one of us has a function. Every single one of us has a role that completes the body of Christ. Do you realize you're so significant that the body of Christ is incomplete without you? That's how significant you are. You see, but what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us to compare our function to one another and to convince us because our function looks a little bit different that we cannot possibly be part of the same body. So therefore, in that process of comparison, we begin to sacrifice our role and function. Let me say it a different way. Comparison is a sacrifice of contentment. You never, you no longer become content with who God designed you to be as long as you compare yourself to somebody else because you will always compare your weakness to their strength. You know what I'm talking about, right? You see, this is why the enemy wants you to begin to compare yourself to somebody else. This is why the enemy wants you to watch Hollywood and look at TV and begin to compare yourself to somebody that you deem as successful because in that process, you no longer become content with your design and therefore you sin against your own purpose. Do you realize that every single person in this room, you're born an original? So don't die a copy. There is not another person on this planet that can be you. There's not another person on this planet that can operate in the function and the purpose that you have but you. You see, when you, when you desire to be someone else, it's a sin against your own design. You see, I love Dr. Randy Clark, but I'm not Dr. Randy Clark. And at the same time, he's not me either. Now, we're not going to try to be each other. We're going to be the original that God has designed us to be because we realize in our originality, it completes the purpose of the body of Christ on earth. Oh, man. Are you guys okay? This is why it's important for us to understand the role that every single one of us play in each other's life. We are many members that work together to serve one purpose, the exaltation of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let's stop comparing ourselves to one another. Let's stop cutting ourselves down, speaking against one another, and let's start valuing every person in this room as part of the family. Whew. You are designed to run and belong with people. Say that again. I love Katie. Do you hear me, family? 
You are designed to run and belong with family, with people. You're not designed to be alone. You're not designed to live this life alone. You're not designed to go your own way and do your own thing. You're designed to, to live life with people. <sighs> do you realize not only are you called to submit to the Father, to Jesus as the head, you're called to submit to each other as the body? What I mean by submission is that I just simply say in this, I am willing to come under and serve instead of requiring you to serve me. You see, Jesus' lordship is expressed through servanthood. There was, listen, if there was ever anybody that deserved to be served, it was Jesus Christ. But when he came to this earth, what did he say? I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And so he role modeled the purpose that every single one of us play in each other's lives is this right here. I'm willing to come under and I'm willing to lift you up as my brother and as my sister instead of cutting you down because my strength covers your weakness. You see, the reason the enemy is actually able to see the body of Christ, to see the body's weaknesses, is because the body is exposing them instead of covering them. You see, love covers a multitude of sin. Why does love cover sin? Not so that you can continue in sin, but so that you can deal with it under the protection of love. So that you know that your brother has your back instead of exposing you before the people and call that restoration. Are you guys okay? Am I talking too fast? Is this good? Is this helping you? We are one body in this place. We make up one individual, the person of Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, it goes on to say this in Ephesians chapter 4. We'll pick it up in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to entertain the saints for the work of ministry. Is that what it says? It says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? But church culture has become about your entertainment instead of your discipleship. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. My role as a minister is to equip you so that the body is built up. You see, my role as a minister is not to convince you to bring your lost friend to church so that I can present the gospel message for them to get saved. No, my role is to present you, disciple you as an evangelist so that you can lead them to Jesus yourself out in the street and then bring them here to be equipped. You see, your relationship with God is not through me. Oh, boy. I'll leave that alone. But listen to what the Word of God says. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all, I love the Bible, until we all attain unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, the measure which belongs to the stature and the fullness of Christ. Wow. Do you realize that we as the body are to, we are to be a demonstration of the fullness of Christ on earth as he is in heaven? Some of you are like, I don't know about that. Well, 
That's what the Bible says. Let's stop living a life inferior to the one that Jesus bought and paid for on the cross. You know what's insulting to Jesus? Seeing yourself different than the design he created you to be. Do you realize when you demean yourself, you demean the image of the one you were created in? Oh, man. Oh, so little time. So that, listen to this, so that we may no longer be children. I love the Bible. The Bible says you are no longer to be children, tossed to and fro by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Well, how dare Jesus say that we should no longer be children and actually grow up? How many of you know when we, when we first got saved, man, it was like God just did everything for us. Man, we would, we would pray a prayer and like, bam, it would happen. And after a period of time, it seemed like nothing was happening anymore. You know, you, you know what I'm talking? Anybody can relate to that? Do you re- I, I want to give you a different way of thinking about that. When, when, when this infant right here, it's a beautiful thing. This infant needs the assistance of the mom, of the parents, to be able to live, right? But as that child begins to grow, at some point, that child needs to learn responsibility. That child needs to learn how to walk on their own, how to talk on their own, how to feed themselves. You see, if that child is 40 years old and the mom is still spoon-feeding them, is still cutting up their meat, and still, oh, boy. That what used to be cute is now repulsive. Right? Do do you realize it's the same with walking with God? When you first give your life to God, he's nurturing you. He's maturing you. He's growing you up. And and now what his sole purpose is this right here. I want to do these things for you so that I can train you how to take responsibility. But at some point, you're going to mature to a a stage in life where I'm no longer going to do things for you. I'm going to do things through you. Oh, man. And so now the prayer that's not being answered is not a sign of his negligence. It's a sign of your spiritual growth. It's a sign now that he can actually trust your will in the prayer answered. That he can actually trust your partnership with his work and his ways being demonstrated through you. So it's actually a sign that you have grown up. It's actually a sign that you're not sucking your thumb anymore. And you actually have grown to a stage where God is like, no, now, now I'm not going to spoon feed you anymore. Now I'm going to show you what it's like for my life to be demonstrated through yours. And now I'm trusting you to take responsibility for the commission that I've given. Wow. This is the purpose of the body of Christ. This is the purpose of the fivefold ministry. It is to mature us to a point. Now, it goes on to say this. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Listen to what it says. For whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. That is you and I. It says this right here. When each part is working properly. Wow. Wow. Who 
whose responsibility is it to have each part working properly? Us. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you realize a large part of what's happening on the world today is the body of Christ is being disempowered and disabled because not every part is working properly. It's because people are not taking responsibility for their function, and therefore they're sacrificing that, pro- that function, and they're sacrificing that role, and it's crippling the body of Christ on earth, and therefore we reveal aspects of Jesus instead of the fullness of who he is. Uh, I've never seen pastor get up before, man. You going to start shouting, brother? Lisa preached a similar message. You're right on. Okay. Is this making sense? What am I trying to say? The primary role that God works on earth today is through his people. That's why you're here. He doesn't want to do things in spite of you. He wants to do things because of you. Because you live in cooperation. But because of that, he has chosen to limit his power connected upon your cooperation. He's chosen to limit his power based upon your cooperation with his will. You see, this is why it's important for us to understand our role, understand our function, and understand that I need to take responsibility and that I need to grow and I need to mature because my maturity is what's going to empower my connecting family member to be able to mature in who God designed them to be. Do you realize we can only grow to a certain degree without our connecting parts maturing with us? Otherwise, it becomes a deformed-looking body on this earth. Obviously, I am an individual up here. What if I lost the function of my right arm? I can still operate, couldn't I? I can still move. I can still do things with my left hand, my left arm. But what happens to my left arm is it becomes divided in function. Because not only do I need to do its function, I need to take responsibility for the one that's not working. And so there, now my function is divided, which means my effectiveness in the function is divided. And now, instead of representing 100% of my strength, I'm representing 50% of weakness. Yes, okay. What if, what if both of my legs lose its function? Now, I I cannot actually do anything without outside assistance. But if if I lost the function of both my legs, now I need an artificial replacement to come and to assist me with that responsibility. Like a wheelchair. I'm not speaking to this. I'm just trying to get you to see a picture here. When the body of Christ fails to realize their function and fails to grow, their, grow itself up in love, at some point, that body becomes so disabled that now it need, uh, needs artificial replacements to come and operate in its function. 
Do you realize that a lot of things that the world is, a lot of, a lot of things that the world is giving answers to is an artificial replacement for the answer that the church should be giving? I believe we are to introduce a new health care plan called His Assurance, called Divine Health, called By His Wounds I Am Healed. Oh. Why am I going to allow artificial replacements to take the responsibility of, of, my, of the answer God has designed me to be to the world? You see, the body of Christ is God's response, and it is God's answer to the world's problems. We need to realize that the answer is within, that the answer is you and I, because we're connected to a God and a king that has divine solutions for every world problem there is. But, and so now we need to understand that a lot of the prayers that we pray, God cannot answer because he's already answered them in you. Some of you look at me like, this dude is crazy. <laughs> oh, man, I have 10 minutes left. We're still in the first verse. Listen, I need you to be you. And I need you to realize how significant you really are. I need you. I desire to have a relationship with you. I'm not here to judge and condemn. I'm not here to throw you under the bus. No, we're here to cover each other. We're here to strengthen one another. We're here to see, if we see each other's weaknesses, we say, oh, how can I assist instead of how can I expose? So this is what Jesus begins to address in this parable when he says a man has two sons. He's like, really? He revealed all that? <laughs> He's revealing this, 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 this aspect of kingdom culture where it's about the people. It's about family. It's about a, a value system for the lost. It's about a value system for redemption. And he's really trying to get us to see the significance and the importance that we play on this earth. I need to take responsibility for the darkness that's in my city and stop blaming the devil for it. No, I'm just not going to allow him to do anything in my midst and do anything in my city and do anything in my region and do anything in my home. I'm going to silence the voice of Satan in my house. Do you realize you have spiritual authority and when you look at evil and do nothing about it, you authorize its purpose? Anyway. The parable goes on to say this. The younger son told his father, I want my. Do you know where a lost mentality is birthed? It's birthed when you say, I want my. Because when you say, I want my, it means you've chosen your will. Let 
me give a different context. He says, I want my share of your estate now before you die. What is the proper way of receiving an inheritance? The father would die, and then the son would receive an inheritance. What is the son saying in essence? Father, you are already dead to me, so therefore I want my inheritance now before you die. What is the son doing? You see, a lost son mentality demands ownership of their own life. Did you hear what I just said? What constitutes a, a lost son is when he takes his will out from under submission to the father. And he makes this statement to the father and says, I want my, and when he says, I want my, the very voice that he has now becomes the prophetic voice of his perversion. And now he said, I want mine. And so he's taking himself out from under submission. And what is he doing? He says, I want ownership over my life. I want to be able to govern my own life. I want to be able to go my own way and do my own thing and make my own decisions without the oversight of God as Father. It's called holding to a form of religion but denying the power thereof. Amen. Holding to a form of godliness so that you look like a Christian to everybody but denying the lordship of that religion. It is called serving myself in Jesus' name. You see, when, when, you be, when you take your will off from under submission, you've chosen your will, which means you become your own God, which means you become the idol that needs to be sacrificed. That means you put yourself in the place of Christ, which means now you become the antichrist, and so now you need to be adjusted. Oh, man. I feel like boxing, man. Not because I'm mad. <laughs> I'm not mad. I just feel the power of God in me so strong, man. I'm trying to get you to see a mindset that this parable is revealing. Do you realize he, what he's demanding? He says, I want my inheritance. We read this entire parable. Do you realize the rebuke that God, that the father had to the other son? He says, suck, son. Why are you asking me to do something for you when everything in my house is already, already yours? You already had access. Do, do you realize what the son is saying? I'm not just okay with having access to the father's house. I want ownership of the father's house. You see, this type of mentality serves the hand of the Lord but not the face of the Lord. Their relationship is what God can do for them instead of, instead of who he is to them, right? This entire mentality is all about the benefits of the kingdom instead of the person of the king. I, listen, I don't care if I never ever in my life see another miracle. The fact that my heavenly father wants relationship with me is good enough. And I don't need to see another thing or experience another thing for me to be okay. Because I'm in relationship with my creator. <sighs> it's not about what his hand can do for me. It's not about what the benefits that come to the kingdom comes to me. 
Those things are wonderful, but what's important to me is the person of God, the person of the king. But this son, he's preoccupied with what the benefits, and he's preoccupied with what's in the father's house. He's preoccupied with the resources and not the source. You see it? This parable has wrecked me, man. I have to admit, I mean, I've seen these tendencies in my life. I've had to repent. I've had to rebuke myself. (laughs) The father says this. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. That's an interesting statement. Why would the father even agree to this? He doesn't want slaves. He wants sons. All things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. You think freedom equates permission. Just because you have the freedom to do whatever you desire doesn't mean you have permission to do whatever you desire. And because, because our God is such a liberator and not a slave master, we, we don't know how to handle the level of freedom he wants to give. And because we don't know how to la- handle the level of freedom he wants to give, we take, we, we take uh, control over, over that freedom and do things he hasn't permitted. I just don't feel convicted about this. Really? Would Jesus do it? No. Well, then you should feel convicted about it. We need to bring back those bracelets. What would Jesus do? Right? Would Jesus do this? No. Well, then probably neither should I. Right? You see, the father, the father is willing to do this because he is not going to control the son to stay in his house. He's not going to force the son to stay in his house. He's not going to make him stay in the house. Forced love is rape. He's not going to force it. But what the father does is he, he grants his request and he gives him a resource. Do you realize he has chosen a resource over the source of the Father? You see, the difference between a resource and a source, a source is unlimited in in its provision, but a resource is limited. You see, he, he doesn't realize he's taking a possession and not a person. And now because he's taking a possession and not a person, he doesn't realize that which he used to do out of unlimited provision now has become limited. And now his bank account is being depleted and he doesn't even know it. He's still living like he did when he lived in the father's house. It says this, a few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money. He come to the conclusion and the realization that the resource wasn't like the source, that the resource, the hand, wasn't like the person, the face, and all of a sudden he realizes, "Uh uh-oh. 
I'm a moron. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. My timer is out. My timer. I'm going to finish this one verse, and then we're going to quit. I never finish a message. I just quit, basically. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, another self-proclamation. This is the last statement I'm going to make, and I promise you I'll let the captives go. And you might get to the fried chicken place before the next church. I don't know. (laughs) When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. It says he comes to his senses. Do you realize it's really not repentance? It's just really him realizing, oh, the Father's house is much better than this pig slop. That's what rock bottom, rock bottom means there's no other option now, so I might as well go with Jesus. It's rock bottom. I, some people get there. I will hope for you not to get to that point. But this is the point he's at. But then he makes this self-proclamation, and the self-proclamation is the undermining of his identity as a son. Do you realize the self-proclamation actually turned into a self-judgment? Where he said, I am not worthy to be called a son, and so therefore I'll be a servant. Just let me back into the house. Do you realize this is a requirement that the father didn't give? This is a requirement that his deception has prophesying through him. Do you realize this is called false humility? We think this is very noble, but listen, false humility requires the sacrifice of your sonship because false humility will always cause you to demean yourself in order to exalt your Christ. And he said, I'm not worthy to be called a son. I just want to be a servant. And so now he begins this journey back to the father living according to these self-judgments that the father didn't give. He was, the father wasn't sitting in the house waiting for a sinner to return. He was waiting for a son to come home. And because the father wasn't waiting for a sinner to return, he wasn't looking at him through the lens of judgment. He was looking at him through the lens of redemption. <laughs> but, this, but this son begins this journey... And all the judgments and all the condemnation and all the self-loathing was not coming from the Father. It was coming from himself. I believe a large part of the body of Christ is living according to the judgments of their lips and not the Father's. 
We're judging ourselves and judging our actions and judging our motives and sacrificing our identity and sacrificing our sonship. And we think the Father is requiring that of us. And he hasn't said either one of those things. He is waiting for a son to return, not a sinner. And he's waiting for people to be redeemed. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> as, thank you guys so much. As, as we get ready to conclude this, this service, my beautiful wife is... She's amazing, and I waited for 12 years, 10, 12 years to meet her. I didn't get married for the sake of being married. I waited for the right one. All of you that are single, this is what I did. I ran after God as fast as I could, and whoever could keep up, that's who I married. She's ahead of me, by the way. But she has a beautiful gift that God has given her, and I want you to receive what she has to say. I think you're okay with the manifestations in this house, babe. So let's give our attention to her and and let her strengthen and encourage us, babe. Go ahead. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Can I get three people to help me catch up here? And um, ma'am, can you come up? Yes, you. And sir, come up. The Lord is going to bless some people today. Young lady with the white polka dot shirt. Yes, you. Yes, come up. God wants to bless you today. (laughs) And sir, can you come up too? Can you guys stand right here? Just face me. Face me over here. Yeah, and can I get some catchers behind these shoulder. people? Like that. Face and her. young lady, stand right Face here. Her. Yeah, shoulder to shoulder. Just stand over here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Ma'am, I heard the Lord say over you that you're a minister of healing. You're a minister of healing, and I don't know if you've been praying specifically for what you're supposed to do in this last season of your long life, amen, yeah, but I heard him say you're a minister of healing, and you will, whoa, you will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover, you will raise the dead, says the Lord, and I heard him say, get ready, because you're being sent out on missions, So I bless the call on you. We need mothers in the faith. And I honor you as a mother in the faith with the gifts of healing. And I thank you, Lord, that it's increasing now. Increase. Words of knowledge increase. Deliverance ministry increase. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And I just bless this mother. 
Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I even see you hugging people and they'll be healed. I bless that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Can you help me hold these? <laughs> I know in the natural you've come out of some things. So I just wanted to say that before I give you the word that I heard the Lord say over you. And that's okay. William and I have come out of some amazing things and we're following Jesus. Amen. Can you hold this? Sorry. <laughs> Too many items. Oh. Oh, sh- I hear the Lord calling you a strong tower. Sh- that you will walk as a righteous oak before the Lord. Sh- sh- oh. And that the blood of Christ covers you. Sh- oh, sh- Thank you, Lord. I hear him saying that he is placing a mantle of purity upon you. (laughs) That you are a true story of redemption and restoration and that he calls you son. Son, look at my son. Isn't he beautiful, says the Lord. Whoa, thank you, Lord. I hear the father saying, Do you see my son? I am so proud of him. (laughs) He calls you a strong tower and an oak of righteousness. Whoa. Thank you, Lord. That you will walk in word and spirit and that you are one that will teach others how to walk in purity and righteousness before the Lord. That your mountain of influence will be outside the four walls of the church. I saw you like Jesus sitting with the prostitutes and listeners. Have no fear. (laughs) We're called to redeem the lost. We're called to love them. And it's okay for you to be with them. That you're going to be one that helps restore them back to the Father. So I just bless the call upon you. Thank you, Lord. I bless the love encounter that you're having with the Father. Increase. Do you have anything for this one? Okay. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. Sweet girl, when I, I walked past you, I heard the Father say, I love her. I love her. That you're a powerhouse for the Lord and that you will carry the heart of God like no other. I heard him say that you're called to justice and that you're the one that will call. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) That you're one that is called to shift nations and release the justice of the Lord. So I just bless the call upon you for justice. Amen. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. I know in the natural, because they announced you as uh, a pastor in Nigeria, so I want to say that before I release the word I heard over you, which I I heard before that, but I know that in the natural, just to be pure with Holy Spirit. (laughs) 
Hush. I heard the Lord call you a preacher. And he said that you're strong in the gift of prophecy. Hush. But I heard the Lord say in this hour and in this season, I'm going to use you as a mouthpiece that will walk in a dual office. Hush. And you're receiving the mantle of the office of the prophet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Is that it? You guys could take your seats. During worship, my, my wife was also receiving a prophetic word for this body, the local body, as well as the global body of Christ, and, and I want to give her just a few seconds, a few moments to, to give that. Could you bear with me with us another five or ten minutes? Is that okay? Go ahead, babe. Absolutely. Isn't God good? Amen. Pastors, can you stand up? And leaders in this house, can you stand up? And uh, body of Christ, I just want you to reach out your hands to these, the leaders. Thank you, Lord. I heard the Lord say that this house will be a house that will shift the strongholds in the region. And this house will be known as an outpouring of heaven. There will be many healings and in, in, people will be drawn from all over to this house. <laughs> and it has to do with unity of the faith and the different nations represented here and that you will do it together in unity. So God, I thank you for the call to shift the region. And I bless that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I heard this word for the global church. And I was asking Jesus if I'm, really, if I'm supposed to release it here that you give me a sign. And I had two signs. One was the grandmother of the house. Come up here. And her vision that she had when she went to heaven. And I want you to share it real quick. About, about the portal? Yes. Well, you know, you heard me all about the plumb lines. But there was plumb line from Amos. Let me hold it and you share it. Okay. <laughs> There's a plumb line in Amos, which is the beginning of the foundation of the temple. And we are the temple of Christ. So it's a beginning. Then Zechariah has, has another plumb line, which is the finishing of the temple. And we're at a point where there's, I was in a field 
and the portal of heaven opened and a golden cloud came down and it was so bright and so powerful, I fell on my face. And the Lord gave me that scripture that says, the eternal weight of glory. We have to be built up in the spirit to embrace that eternal weight of glory, which is the qualifying. There's going to be many religions and people, pastors as well, will be disqualified because they're not living up to the golden plumb line. And that's, that's what I saw. So this was the first sign. And then the second sign was the dancers. And the the music said, sound the alarm, sound the alarm. Oh, thank you, Lord. Can you hold on to me? <laughs> okay. So in September of 2015, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. And I saw that she wasn't ready yet. And I saw her as a bride. And I saw that she was wearing a crown, but it was crooked. Her makeup wasn't done, and her shoes were missing. Her dress was dirty, and her dress was torn. And the Lord says, my bride's not ready yet but it's time to get ready. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It says in the word that Jesus is coming back for the pure and spotless bride. In June this past year, 2019, 911 kept calling my phone over and over. And it made me nervous, and I kept hunging up. I hung up. Because if you call 911 falsely, you can get in trouble. I didn't think anything of it. I kept calling my phone. That same month, a prophet came to the ark at Global Awakening. Told a story of how in June, that same month, 911 kept calling her phone. And she did the same. She hung up. Thought nothing of it. Called her twice. The pastor that brought her out to their church to speak shared a story with her. That same day, 911 called his phone twice and he hung up. And she knew it was a word from the Lord. And this is the word that she released. That ministry leaders and many ministries were about to be falling because they were operating in sin. And about a week later, they started to fall one by one. And you even saw some of this on Facebook. Then in December 2019, in Christmas Day, Christmas Day, SOS alarmed off of my phone. SOS. 
over and over it sounded off and I started shaking before God and I said this is a word and it has to do with this 911 call doesn't it so I looked up what SOS means and originally SOS meant save our souls and what I heard the father say about this was that it's a 911 call to the body of Christ to get into proper alignment and proper position before the Lord because we are called to set others free. We are called to walk in righteousness before the Lord. Amen. It talks about in Hebrews 10 about those that go on and continue willfully sinning that the cover will be lifted from them. It also says, Jesus speaking, on that day, the people will come to me saying, and this is us standing before the Lord to step into heaven. Many of the people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I heal the sick? Didn't I raise the dead? And he says to them, depart from me, for I did not know you, you lawless people. And what I hear him saying to the people of God, get in proper alignment and proper position before him, It's time for us to die to sin, turn from our ways, and start walking with him in relationship. (laughs) Because there's a holiness movement coming to the body of Christ. Not only if the leaders don't repent and the ministries that are preaching heresy, they will fall. And it's going to continue to happen this year and the next year's. And the government, there's exposures coming to the government because it's the heart of the Father for justice, amen? And I saw, just like the abortion laws that are changing now, there's going to be laws change for human rights, but also, I, I saw... Laws changing to end human trafficking. And it's going to start in America and go to the nations. And it's going to change in Hollywood. No longer can there be nudity. Pornography will be eradicated from the earth. So start praying for that. Father, we just part, partner with your spirit of holiness. Lord, we thank you that you have entered us into a season of sanctification. Well, there's a divine alignment beginning to take place, spirit, soul, and body.
And Father, we just give you full permission to sanctify us according to your spirit of holiness and by your blood. Father, your word says in the book of Hebrews that your blood will cleanse our conscience from dead works. And so, Father, we just ask that your blood will begin to cleanse the bride of Christ from her dead works right now. That we'll begin to cleanse our conscience from a sin conscience and establish a righteous conscience inside of us and establish a holy conscience inside of us, God. We, we just enforce the blood of Christ over everything that's inconsistent with what that blood has defeated. Every demon, every lie, every scheme, every plan of the enemy, be thy uprooted and be thy dismantled and come under submission to what the blood has already defeated. Father, we come before you as your sons and as your daughters, and we repent on behalf of the bride, and we say, we turn from our wickedness, we turn from our sin, we turn from our unsubmitted will, and we surrender it back to you as the Lord. And we take the responsibility for preparing ourselves for the coming of the groom. Let the bride say, come! Let the bride be prepared! Father, we are cleansed by the water of your word. I just call forth truth to come to the forefront again in the body of Christ in the mouth of the bride and let her voice be as that trumpet. In the land that we have been put in charge of, in the same way that Pharaoh gave Joseph that signet ring that signified he was in charge of the land, the commission that Christ has given the church has put that ring on our finger to say, I put them in charge of the land and I put them in a place of responsibility. No longer shall evil exist in our presence. Darkness shall flee because the light will be shown. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen and amen. Once again, bless you guys. Thank you so much for allowing us to come and to share. And my apologies for the service going a little bit longer than normal. Uh, wasn't our intention to do that. We love you guys. We love your pastors. And we just... We just want you to know how much we thank, thank you for allowing us to come. Bless you guys.